We're back, back after Oklahoma's 66-17 win uh, over Tulsa, back before the Sooners head to Cincinnati, and back with Todd Lizenby on the seventh episode of Letterman Jacket Podcast, number seven, Dalen Smothers and Jaron Kanick on the Sooners' current roster, seven, number of national championships in Norman, number of Heisman winners in Norman for me, Todd Hungman's son of Tottenham Hotspur, number seven, Jose Reyes, New York Mets great. What do you think of number seven? Who do you have to contribute contribute to this list? Well, I immediately thought of winners. You went with Spurs and Mets guys. I would go, uh, I mean, listen, if soccer, CR7 is, you know, the most noticeable one. I'm not a huge fan myself, but uh, also not a huge fan. John Elway, a great mm. seven. Beat my Packers in a Super Bowl one year, so we don't like him very much. But number one is a great Oklahoman. That's Mickey Mantle who wore number seven with oh, the New York Yankees. Go. That's that's the first seven I thought of. I grew up in New York, what, in like the early 2000s, and Mickey Mantle stories were the ones I heard from folks who were around when he played and stories. I think I remember one about some night he hit, hit the lights at the old Yankee Stadium, something like that. So I grew up with those stories, but he's a great Oklahoman, and I think at least part of the reason you see Yankee hats, right, all over the state. Oh, yeah. We'd have to check with uh, and there were there were a few Oklahomans that played for the Yankees. We'd have to check with the uh, the sponsors and with our higher ups to tell some of the Mickey Mantle stories. Probably don't want to get into all of them without checking first to make sure it's okay or at least giving some sort of warning. But uh, yeah, there's my dad always told the story. So my dad would have been you know born in '56, so he was right in the Mantle era was when he was a kid, and he always told the story about uh, Chandler. Oklahoma used to have a famous baseball camp. It was one of the biggest baseball camps in the country until I think early 2000s. It kind of went defunct. But there was a year where I don't know if it's in Sports Illustrated, but everyone that went to Chandler baseball camp, like the camp jersey, jersey had number seven on the back of it because everybody wanted to be number seven and be Mickey Mantle. So, yeah, that's the first one I think of for sure. That's pretty dang cool. It's enough Yankee talk on the podcast today or <laughs> forever, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but Mickey Mantle and Chandler were what we would have had to drive through or nearby Chandler on our way, my way. Oh, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't head out to Tulsa, but you, I was there. Well, you passed the Chandler exit for sure on the Turner Indeed. Turnpike. There's no doubt about that. Right there by the uh, by the Farm Fresh Dairy. That's right. Or, sorry, That's by the right. Highland Dairy. By the Highland Dairy. Apologies to the Highland folks. Glad you clarified. Potential sponsor? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, I drove down with Barry Trammell on, uh, on Saturday to Tulsa. Not down, but across. To Tulsa, and how was uh, that we, experience? It was a blast. We had a good time. I'll tell you either at the end of this show or off air about our dining on the way home. We had a blast. Okay. Uh, Did he wax oh, poetic about like anchors away or about old Skelly Stadium and tell you like old Golden Hurricane stories or what? No, but I got a lot of good ones. And man, then you try to walk to into a stadium with Barry Trammell, and you're getting stopped every twenty feet by people <laughs> who uh, I just look like his handler because uh, he was the celebrity getting stopped about every twenty feet. Beautiful campus. Nice morning to walk around campus. We were in Skelly, well, Skelly Field at uh, at Chapman Stadium. Sold out crowd, uh, ultimately. And we were there to see the Sooners ultimately, like, really take care of business and to, and to do so early against Tulsa on Saturday. You know, a week ago, a week before that, uh, they let another AAC team, right, SMU, hang around in the fourth quarter. They didn't really leave those questions to, to be decided in Tulsa. They jumped on them. They threw the ball early. They threw deep early. They did both of those things successfully early. And this game was, you know, effectively over by the time we got to the second quarter. 
And the Sooners kind of cruised, which I think they needed before uh, diving into Big 12 play this weekend with Cincinnati. Uh, but it was a strong statement. What was, uh, where were you watching and, and what did you take in for this one? Well, uh, so the Sooners started at 2.30 and UCO started at 2. So I was kind of just looking down during TV timeouts for the first, you know, half, two and a half quarters of the ball game and then listening to Toby Rowland's call on the rest of the way home. So I kind of did that Sunday where you watch back and finally YouTube's, I don't know if they're legal or not, but you can watch back every play without everything in between. Right. And I went back and found one of those and watched it. Um, so I um as I was watching just on screen, I wasn't surprised. Like I kind of thought this might happen. I guess I was a little bit surprised in how it happened. I just assumed that with everything that went down against SMU, that if OU was gonna dominate in this game, it was gonna be on the ground. Like it was gonna be physically up front. And while they did that to some extent defensively up front, offensively it just never really materialized that way. And I say that like not to take anything away from what an incredible game Dylan Gabriel had, and he is on fire right now, which I know we're going to talk about for sure. Yeah, I mean, that that was, to me, one of the stories, at least, was the passing game because they struggled. You know, Dylan Gabriel had four touchdowns, but they struggled in the air, and it was a disjointed uh, performance against SMU in the passing game. So they sort of needed that uh, that bounce back and they got it and a week before against SMU you know they talked about how there was a high safety someone there to take the top off the field uh this week whatever whatever Tulsa set up and OU felt from the jump it could attack and, and go deep and they did it the first two throws uh Dylan Gabriel had 55 yarder to Andrew Anthony and then that uh 34 yard touchdown throw to J- Jaleel Farouk and it was mm-hmm. on from there they had everything they wanted deep they kept going deep uh, even in the red zone, these aren't deep balls, but Drake Stoops kind of found what he wanted. They targeted him a lot, uh, and they have targeted him a lot in the red zone, which I found interesting. But on the whole, you know, Dylan Gabriel, 421 yards, five touchdowns, both, uh, you know, the second best performances there of his OU career. He had that game in Lubbock last year in OT, where he had more yards and more touchdowns, 90% completion percentage, career high. Um, probably one of his best games in an OU uniform. See, and I don't that think was... that's fair. I think completion percentage should go up if one of them's intercepted because you completed it just to the wrong. Oh, you so know what that, I'm saying? What, that would that might have ticked him up then to like yeah, like 94 percent or something. Yeah, and that was the only blemish on on the day for him. That pick in the third quarter, he got clobbered on that play, and want to say it was Freeman he targeted. It felt like a there might have been a a pull or a push or something. I was waiting for the flag to come out, but. Um, that if that was the worst thing that happened in Dylan Gabriel's day, it was a pretty good day for him and the Sooners, which it was. And that was the driving force, I thought. Uh, they got the five interceptions. Ted Roof wanted one more turnover that he didn't get. It was the fumble that turned into, I think, just a turnover, turnover on downs. But uh, it was a complete game. But it started with the passing offense. It started with those turnovers that, you know, a few of them felt like punts, those passes. But uh, a good day for the Sooners. And, and like we said, they took care of business early. And that was the most important thing. I agree with you. Like a few of those did feel like punts, but I think in general, just the the fan base is happy to see just defensive players making plays. It's been so long since people have seen that in Norman, especially when it comes to creating turnovers and to being opportunistic when those moments are there. Like it feels like, and you know this, like I'm sure you've had years where you followed Tottenham as a soccer fan, where it's like the ball goes flying across the goal and there's never anyone to put it in, right? just over and over and over. Maybe you haven't because Harry Kane used to be there. But <laughs> but those those games, those moments, they're frustrating as a fan. So 
while I don't live and die with Oklahoma football like some of the fans do, I can certainly understand having seen them just drop interceptions or not turn their head around and miss interceptions or you know, be in a spot where they could make an interception, but a guy doesn't break on it quick enough. That has happened more often than not in the last, gosh, almost a decade now, it feels like, with Oklahoma football. So I know there's cautious optimism because of the 3-0 and start last season. That's totally understandable. But there is, I don't know how you feel, Eli, but it feels a little bit different to me this year than it did last year. And maybe there's that's because you have the frame of reference of last year going into this year. There's a lot about it that feels different. I think we'll, we'll get to that. I'm going to write about that this week. They're certainly telling us that. That's that's the vibe coming out of OU is that, yeah, this you know broadly can look like last year, but you, you look at the numbers, there's there's a lot of differences, especially on defense, and, and they're certainly feeling like they're further ahead from where they were uh, a year ago this time. I mean, this time last year, they had just throttled Nebraska and they were prepping for K-State. I don't think anybody – we didn't know it was in front of us, but you talk about that defense – the turnovers, Alex Grinch would be proud, wouldn't he, of, of what, they, what they're doing and what they did. Um, you said it, like kind of right place, right time. These were not, you know, Danny Stutzman's pick, and, and he got into the end zone this time. I guess, you know, he'd been given a hard time last year at Iowa State, I believe. He got chased down. Didn't happen Rightfully this time. so. Like, he had the angle and right. everything. I think he totally, just kind of totally. lost track of where he was in the excitement. He got it right this time. Like, that pick was, was nice, and that took more than – and he explained it. He was like, you know what, like I can – I've got decent hands, but I don't spend time in the jugs machine like the uh, the DBs do. But, you know, Gentry Williams' pick was kind of a punt. Key Lawrence, Kendall Dolby, the same. But, you know, Trace Ford, you had two two picks by non-DBs. Trace Ford had to blow up that, uh, that screen pass. Danny Stutzman needed the hands on that. And, you know, afterward, Brent Venable said it too. They weren't making those plays last year. They, they weren't. He, he referenced, you know, these are all rough counts. But, you know, eight or nine picks they felt like they should have had, not – you know, acrobatic plays, but easy ones. He called them layups that they didn't get. And you think about five five games where they lost by a score, and you know, if it's nine turnovers that would have gone the other way, you're you're talking about different stuff. And and so that's where even baseline, like whether this defense is light years ahead or just a little better, those are the simple things they weren't doing a year ago that they seem to be doing now. Then again, week three last year, the defense looked wonderful and we know where it went from there. So that's where that cautious optimism has to be but encouraging uh, first few weeks and encouraging to close out non-conference play at Tulsa. I would just say two things real quickly. Number one, I think SMU is better than anyone they played in the first three games last year. I think I kind of land on that. I'm sure you're the same way. And then number two, like I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I just watched the Packers lose by one to Atlanta, a golden opportunity to go 2-0 and with two road games to start the season. They dropped two interceptions yesterday, you know, on Sunday afternoon. So like that's, that stuff does cost you games, and in college football, you lose a game, you're in big trouble, right? Like the Packers have 17 games to make that up. They probably got to win 10 of those 17. When you're talking about the threshold of you can lose one, maybe two games, you've got to take advantage of those situations. And I think it goes back to the conversation we had last week about Peyton Bowen. Oklahoma just has guys mm-hmm. right now, it feels like, defensively, that they don't – like you can't coach a guy to make some of these plays. You just have to know that they're going to make them. Right, You can put them in position, but they have to make the plays. And it feels like defensively Oklahoma has more of those guys this year than they had last year, which is why I think everyone's excited about where this thing is headed through 3-0 and right now. And they've covered well, three times, let's be honest. The people putting hey, their like little that. cheddar on the side, playing their parlay cards, are loving that too. I was in Norman this morning recording you know, Monday afternoon, and I asked Ted Roof, I said, you know, we, all right, you guys were 3-0 last year, 3-0 this year. 
uh, the signs are there, but what to you looks better about this defense? Where are they further along? And that, you know, execution's the word, the exact thing that came out of its mouth. And that you can't, you don't really quantify that much on the box score. Maybe, you know, executing a turnover, we see five turnovers, but things like execution are, are the things that, that simply you, you can't measure. It's, they're the things that guys like Peyton Bowen do and that guys seemingly more on this defense are, are doing. They have more guys to make plays and, and they're making them. Now let's see when they go, you know, to a Big 12 opponent, uh, a new Big 12 opponent, but go to Cincinnati, a team running the ball as well as anybody in the country. Can they do it then? That's going to be the test of this team. These three games, we talked about it, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma. They largely passed that test. Now they're going to get tested a lot more. And we're going to see if this defense is for real. But I think the probably the best thing you could say about this past weekend at Tulsa was they went somewhere they had to take business, take care of business. And they just went ahead and did so. And it was smooth. It was everything a trip to Tulsa for Oklahoma should have been. And I think that's encouraging when you, you look at where they're headed now. What was your, and again, I was following most of the game before kind of the crowd started to sift out when I got home. What was your take on the percentage OU to Tulsa fans? So it, it kind of felt silly. Like someone asked me before the game on Twitter and I tweeted back at him. I said a lot more blue than I expected, which when you're sitting at a Tulsa home game sounds silly to say. But I'll say, I, and this would be, I'd say this was based more on what I saw outside than inside the stadium. The stadium was great once it was packed. I mean, 30,000 people in there. It was a beautiful day. Kind of got, it was hotter than a lot of us expected. Got a little muggy on the turf, but uh, place was packed. That was awesome. But there was more blue than red pregame. I'll say that. And that maybe that was around the Chapman Commons, all that. But I was impressed by the showing out from Tulsa. I miss Sean Kingston. That was, uh, was disappointing. I had to be back in the stadium. I was out by where he was performing. I, I will take credit. We See, didn't I was really there. hoping that you and Barry took in Sean Kingston together. That's what I was hoping to hear today. That's what we spent like 30 minutes in the car going over is who <laughs> Sean Kingston was. And uh, But I'll say this. I, I did get to ask Rick Dixon, the Tulsa AD, last week. I said, you got Sean Kingston coming. What do you know about Sean Kingston? And he said, well, I've been on YouTube. And it turned out I knew one of his songs. So I give him credit. I, but uh, credit to him. I was pretty I think proud. That's what that, we all know is one of his songs. If we're that's, being told, you know what, that's what I spent most of Saturday doing. I wrote a bunch of stories. I watched a game, reported from Tulsa. I was on the Sean Kingston defense. Everyone said one hit wonder. Like after Beautiful Girls, there wasn't a bunch of others. Fire burning, take you there, any meanie. That's just off the top of the head, Todd. Come on, Beautiful Girls, the only one I know. Be totally honest with you, because you weren't in middle school in 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 his prime, man. That's, that's true. Why. That's that true. I, I do have a few years in my life that I call the dark era where I struggle to remember anything from, and I think that's <laughs> probably where Sean Kingston fell. You missed out, man, and I missed out on Saturday not seeing him. That's once in a lifetime. How many times can you be in the Chapman co uh, Commons on the campus of the University of Tulsa seeing Sean Kingston? I'll never get that back, and I've yeah. got to live with that. You'll love this. John Fitzgerald, who I do uh, UCO football games with, he's the color analyst for our UCO broadcast. He uh, he played at UCO. He originally signed to Oklahoma at Oklahoma State and left there in the preseason, and then set out a year and played at UCO. And when he was being recruited out of Putnam City North, he told me he's like, "Yeah, my senior year, I went to Oklahoma four times. I went to OSU twice." And he said, "I went to Tulsa once, but that was only because Diamond Rio was playing a concert, which there I thought go. was an awesome pull." So uh, Sean Kingston's great, but Diamond Rio's been there, so I think that's a little step up, if you ask me. All right, so that was Tulsa moving sort of broader strokes on the Sooners. You know, they're going to Cincinnati this weekend, favored by 14 points. Depends on where you look, 13 and a half. Seen 11, like every week. It depends on where you look. We'll see where it stands 
on Saturday morning. But I, I think where the Sooners hit the road again and hit the road for, for Big 12 play, still wondering, is at least principally the run game. Um, that remains a topic of conversation, mostly because it still hasn't kicked into gear. And as we start this, I think it's worth noting that this was such an effective run game a year ago. They ran more than anybody in the Big 12. Eric Gray led the way, and he was so consistent for them. But right now, they just don't seem to have that one guy or, or really just a, a running attack that is getting much going. I think you, you could look at the offensive line, as some are. You could look at the individual guys. You could look at the fact that you know two of the games they've played have, have been blowouts from pretty early on. I, I don't think that makes for really good kind of guys finding a rhythm or, or really any measure of how good this rushing attack is. But the bottom line is they're, they're averaging 4.3 yards per carry through three weeks, and, and we know that's got to be better. I would just say, Eli, that while you're right, there is still concern. The run game's got to be better full stop, right? I'm not saying it doesn't. I would also tell you, and maybe you could tell me differently, because again, like I said earlier, I didn't get to watch the game live, so it's hard to kind of feel the game when you're watching it back on replay. But it felt to me like Tulsa went into that game figuring that Oklahoma was going to do what you and I figured they were going to do, which is pound the ball on the ground and be physical. And because of that, Oklahoma was able to take the top off the defense. So, again, like I'm, I'm not saying it's good enough. It's got to be better. But I still think there's question marks around it that can be answered, right? And I think they have the personnel to do that. It's just a matter of what game plan looks like against Cincinnati. I do think both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, this is going to be their toughest test up front, right? They've said as much at press conferences. It steps up a next level when you're playing Big 12 play, and we're going to see that this week. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this is going to be the best defensive line they've seen and certainly the best rushing attack we've they've seen. Uh, right now, Cincinnati's at like 239 yards a game. That's going to be a challenge. That's going to be new for them. We're going to see if this run defense that through three games has been really impressive. But again, you'd say, well, Arkansas State, Tulsa didn't you know get much on the ground. Is that because of who they played or because of how good they were. As it relates to the run game for OU this past week, I think you're right. They, they in the same way that the, the deep ball was taken away by SMU, maybe, you know, the run clearly is where Tulsa prioritized, and it's exactly why OU was able to pick them apart the way they did. And they, they basically took what was given to them and, and took full advantage of it, and they did that. And I, I would say, you know, the running game needs to be better. It also did, doesn't need to be figured out after three weeks. That's the only thing I'll say is that in terms of finding who that guy's going to be, or maybe more likely two guys, that can develop over the next few weeks. I mean, they've got Cincinnati, they have Iowa State. I think you'd want, if you were an OU fan, to go into Texas with a bit more settled and, and on paper that you've seen uh, from the run game. But I, I think any combination, if they can get there, Tawi Walker, Marcus Major, Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk, you'd feel good about two of those guys. And they, none of them have to have run for 160 yards in a game before, you know, conference play begins. But they do got to figure it out. I think they've got to get things sorted on the offensive line. I think that's been a part of this, too. And if you ask Jeff Levy, he'd tell you there's a mix of reasons why it's been this way. But the offensive line, I think, isn't getting the push you might expect from a unit that people were so excited about. They protected Dylan Gabriel really well. One sack on the year. Again, consider maybe who they were playing. But Pushing forward, they've they've got to do a bit more for this run game. Hasn't been helped that Savion Bird, he returned as the starter this week, left with an injury. We don't really know his status, but you know, Troy Everett comes in. They haven't had uh continuity up front and at least weeks one and three haven't needed it. They rotated heavily. That's a question and, and another place to watch this weekend against a good defensive line. What can this offensive line really do? 
I mean, I think I think I would just say, Eli, to kind of wrap this up on the OU run game, again, does it need to be better? Yes, but tell me a big team right now that doesn't have a noticeable flaw, a Big 12 team right now that doesn't have one. And, you know, I, I thought it was laugh-out-loud funny to see the Big 12 conference tweet out, congrats to the ranked teams in the conference, and it was Texas and Oklahoma, right? Like, that's right hold now. On, hold on, hold on. I was there at AT&T Stadium in July when Brett Yormark said we were going to celebrate OU and Texas in their final season, the Big 12, and here we are coming true on it. So, Well, right now uh, it's the only thing they have to celebrate when it, it comes really to is. the AP poll. I mean, Kansas State with a bad loss, that brings up questions about them after Saturday's game against Missouri. Um, there's questions about the Cincinnati team having just lost to Miami of Ohio. Texas Tech and Baylor start 0-2. Houston looks dreadful. TCU lost to Colorado. You know, like Oklahoma State looks dreadful right now. There are all kinds of questions in the league. So I don't think Oklahoma's in a bad spot. You're in Big 12 play, and that's going to mean things are tougher. But the good news is right now, Big 12 play doesn't look that tough to begin with. And Oklahoma's got a pretty nice schedule when it comes to who they do and don't play in the regular season. Maybe the one that's a little bit of a surprise is BYU. But I also think Arkansas is terrible too. Like I don't think Arkansas is very good this year. So I I don't know. Like I is it it has to be better. Again, I'm not saying Oklahoma's running the ball well enough, but I don't think it's a huge concern right now, given the way the conference looks and the way Oklahoma's looked in other places where they've gotten so much better. I agree. And I, I think an easy schedule that we we would have said that in August looks easier now, just in the way the Big Twelve's breaking. We'll see in a month. I mean, things change really fast around here, but I think that's a good point. I think at this point you could say this weekend's going to be a tough test, but it is a Cincinnati team that just lost to Miami of Ohio. Next weekend, you have Iowa State, who will become what, – what are we going to name the Oklahoma State-Iowa State game? The Crap Bowl, something like that? That's so lame. But it's it, as lame as that game might well, be. Well, hey, be you're not old enough to remember this, but Howard Schnellenberger back in the day on Mondays would have like a JV practice game, right? Like a scrimmage, okay? Mm-hmm. And then on Tuesdays, he would have his weekly press conference, and he called that Monday scrimmage the toilet bowl. I mean, so he would walk to the podium, and the first thing he would do is he'd pull out this sheet of paper and he'd go, eh, toilet bowl report. And he'd just read stats from the toilet bowl game of what freshmen made like tackles or had rushing yards the day before in the JV game. So, I mean, I think toilet bowl works. It's crazy that there's a total of a Big 12 game at 35 and a half or 36, which is what Oklahoma State, Iowa State is for a conference that for years, for nearly a decade, had the best college quarterbacks year in and year out. It's just wild right now where the conference is. And, I mean, and you, I think you might have tweeted about this. The SEC doesn't look much better right now. Doesn't. It's got its own issues. It's unbelievable. But point is that, you know, that Texas game really is going to be the first, I think, high level, like top of the country kind of test that OU is going to get. So it's about, you know, handling their business the next two Uh Quick note before we get to Dylan Gabriel, Andrew Anthony has really, I think, been what was promised and more than what was promised. He's already been, I think, more productive in this in three games than he was in any of his seasons at Michigan. Uh, He's been the deep threat that they went out looking for. Uh, Something like I I think he's got 17 catches, 200 some odd yards. uh, I think it's 17 targets, 14 catches, which, yeah, that's the efficiency he's had. Yeah. He's been efficient. He's been the guy deep, and that's taken. I think that takes pressure off Jaleel Farouk, who we didn't mention, but had a huge game, uh, kind of a, a game he needed 
Uh, it was interesting to hear him talk afterward because he had uh, the fumble on the opening kick. He took that back 62 yards and on the 63rd coughed it up. That's how we started in Tulsa. Uh, and it was about the last negative play for OU and for a good while in that game. But for him, you know, six catches, 126 yards, a touchdown. That's the game Jaleel Farouk needed to have. And and afterward, he said when he was a freshman, the first couple of weeks where he struggled would have would have bothered him a lot more. But it was he's got the experience now. Dylan Gabriel talked about his short memory. Very encouraging for Jaleel Farouk. But returning to Andrew Anthony, I think what he can do in terms of stretching the field only helps everybody around him. It, it's not surprising that Drake Stoops had a big game. Farouk had a big game. He, he had a big part in that passing game. If I'm not mistaken, Andrew Anthony grew up in East Lansing, lifelong Michigan fan, right. uh, son right. of a bus driver. Someone wrote about that. I feel like Someone I read about that. that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like I read about that at selloutcrowd.com. Uh, no, he he, and he was one of those wild cards, right? That coming coming out of the portal, you go well. It's really nice if this guy can help, but if if he's that good, why didn't he latch on at Michigan? And it. I will say one thing the portal has shown us over and over again is circumstances matter. There are good players who are just in bad circumstances and go find a new place and shine. And so, you know, I I know this is probably sacrilege to you, but it's the old argument of does Tom Brady win the Super Bowls he wins without Bill Belichick? Does Bill Belichick win the Super Bowls he wins without Tom Brady? Of course not. They won those because they were together and it was the perfect pairing. So Right now, it feels like for what Oklahoma needed to take the top off the defense, Andrew Anthony is exactly what you know works out for him. So he, he has been a nice addition to this, uh, this Oklahoma offense, no doubt. Well, you're right. What we're learning in the portal, it's all about the perfect marriages. They're, you know, portal guys can come and uh, you know, not be what they were promised or not be. You know, they come from a big school and drop down and, and it doesn't work or it's perfect. Back to that story on Andrew Anthony, when I spoke to his father, he said, if, if Andrew was a, a running back, we'd still be at Michigan. They loved it there. It was not, you know, some place right. he had to get out of, but he's a big, fast receiver who works perfectly in a tempo offense. Michigan huddles and runs the ball. So it just wasn't the place for him. And now look, he, he's in an offense that moves, that throws the ball downfield, and he's thriving. And, and that's a huge development for the Sooners because they needed – you know, probably at least three guys, and you were looking at Jaleel Farouk and Drake Stoops and then wondering who else was there. Vangelo Anthony can be number three, and then you're talking about Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, uh, and, and the rest behind him. That starts to be a problem solved. I think, you know, we were looking at the skill spots in August and saying running backs and receivers, who's going to catch passes, who's going to run the ball. In the passing game, I think we're, we're closer to answers in the run game, and that, that's a good thing. They've got to figure out the run, but that Dylan Gabriel's finding – guys he can he can throw to downfield is huge and, and that brings us into dylan gabriel who i've got a story out today it's monday about just how good he's been at the start of this year if you look at the numbers he's he's hanging out with caleb williams and shador sanders and My, uh, michael Penix at washington sam hartman at notre dame dylan gabriel through three games is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the country and that's huge for the sooners not just that he's playing that way but that a year ago where you know things look great some days and not so much others and that he just you know felt a tick below where, where you would have wanted him to be feels like he's made up that ground and we heard about it all winter and all spring and summer but until you see it it's all just talk but dylan gabriel seems to to have taken some kind of jump and if that's the case if he can maintain any semblance of this that does huge things for this offense that lost so many productive guys from a year ago and needs to find new ones the quarterback's got it figured out, and if he's playing a bit better than he was a year ago, 
I think that bodes really well. I think sometimes we forget that everything was piecemealed together so quickly last year after Brent Venables came in uh, and after Dylan Gabriel came to Oklahoma in the transfer portal that, yes, he played under Jeff Levy before, but he hadn't played under an offensive line coached by Bill Biedenboe, right? He he hadn't played with any of these receivers. Uh, he didn't know any of the guys in the backfield, and that stuff matters. And I think last year a lot of – what he might have grown into as the season went along was thwar- was not thwarted, but was it the schedule was knocked off course by the injury against TCU and the way that all went down. And then it felt like Oklahoma was kind of playing from behind. And the defense wasn't good enough for Dylan Gabriel. It ever felt like to get back on his feet. Um, and this year with the offseason, with kind of, the, you know, last year being thrown into hindsight, uh, you know, in the rearview mirror, I think Dylan Gabriel, he just – he just looks like he's playing with less pressure this year. He looks like he's playing more free. Um, like he knows where receivers are going to be and they're there. Like he knows, you know, where his blockers are going to be and they are there. So I think, yes, we assume that he was going to come in and grasp the levy off levy offense very well. And he may have, but there's so many other factors that just feel so much more comfortable for him this year. And he's playing amazing. But again, he was playing amazing through three games last year. It's funny, earlier you mentioned the Jaleel Farouk fumble at the beginning of the game, right? And how immediately you're like, third game of the season, Oklahoma's look good, and then something crazy bad happens. Remember against Nebraska, Nebraska went opening drive down the field, right? It was, it's like the same kind of vibes, mm-hmm. and there, there are a lot of weird parallels between last season and this year, how the first three games have gone. And that's why I think there's a lot of cautious optimism from Oklahoma fans right now. I think so. And, uh, you know, on the Dylan Gabriel front, you know, he's got four more touchdowns than he had this time last year. Um, He's completing more passes. He's something at like 82%. That's leading the country, 82.5%. Best completion percentage in the country. 11 touchdowns is like fourth nationally, just behind Caleb Williams. Uh, Yards per attempt up there with those guys. I mean, he really... And you know, three games better on third down too. That's been better on third down, and that that he's got a big part in that. They're converting on like twenty percent more of their third downs. All of this, as you were just saying, take it with a grain of salt. Early season, you know, Arkansas State and Tulsa; those games were combined margin of you know one hundred and twenty-two points in in margin of victory. Take it all with a grain of salt, but Dylan Gabriel looks different too, and just the way he's operating. You mentioned that lack of pressure. I think there's some comfort there. Jeff Levy said today he's he's in a place that he wasn't a year ago. And so I, I think all that bodes well. And you can't understate both the fact that last year was we hear all about how last year was disjointed in so many ways. One, it's silly to think that wouldn't have extended to the transfer quarterback, no matter how you know much of a you know strong jawed leader he was from the jump. And also the fact that yeah, he suffered a head injury right in the right in October, missed Red River, returned and played two games basically before they when they lost to Baylor on that first weekend in in November I think any semblance of what that season was going to be was was over and and it was clear kind of what level they were at so in that sense he played two games after the concussion before they lost to Baylor then they went to West Virginia and it was you know in a lot of ways over by then so probably shouldn't be understated what last year was like and uh, again the fact that he looks as good as he does now I, I think is encouraging good for him and uh it's a big deal for the Sooners and listen I way early right small sample size alert but he puts up numbers like this and Oklahoma rattles off a bunch of wins and wins the big 12 
I don't know that he'll win a Heisman, but he'll he'll probably get an invite to New York with numbers like that, this. So wow. Again, well, small sample size alert. He's got to stay healthy and he's got to do it over and over. I based on the numbers to, to this point, three weeks we're talking about right now, sure. And it, I don't think I, I don't think anything right now talking across the whole college football landscape is far fetched. Colorado's three and zero. That would have seemed far fetched last month. And Alabama needed scored ten points before the final minute at South Florida. How about that for a sentence? So nothing should be predicted. Can be. I guess it's college football as usual. But this feels even weirder this year. Uh, and maybe just the confluence of the portal and realignment and everything that's coming. Maybe that's all playing a role in, in what feels like some of the weirdest first three weeks of college football we've had. Well, we've got the thicker kicker at Missouri booting in 61 yarders at the buzzer. I'm sure you enjoyed that over the weekend. Oh, man. You know, he's got a burger in, in Columbia named after him. It's a whole NIL really? thing. The thicker kicker. It's a burger at Campus Bar and Grill. The real secret at campus, there's two. One, I don't even know if they can still do this. Thursday nights used to be 75 cent triple wells at Campus Bar and okay. Grill. Okay, okay. Meaning yeah. triple pour for 75 cents, best deal in, in the town. And then Sundays they did dollar quarter pounders. So you'd go in and get like three of those and a basket of fries for six bucks. Golden. I but, uh, I like what I'm hearing. I've never well, been to Columbia. I've never been to Columbia, but if I go, you need to be that. my travel guide. Maybe we change that. I don't know. It could be a travel blog next year. We can just do Let's video, do get a camera, the whole thing. Well, Todd, where are we going to close out? But with a game of Liz in or Liz out, and your, your Dylan Gabriel pre- prediction right there maybe takes us into the first question, because I was going to ask you, Liz in or Liz out on on if this jump from Dylan Gabriel is for real? Um, I'm going to say Liz in. Like I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as to say he's going to be a Heisman finalist after three games, but it, it does look different, and I really do think this. we would have seen more of this at the end of last season had there not been injuries in that disjointed season. So I, I think this year, if he stays healthy, um, and especially if they can find a way to run the ball better, I think he's going to have a really good season. I like it. Drake Stoops, he's uh, he's got three touchdowns, had two Saturday at Tulsa. Already matches a career high. He's been a really frequent red zone target. This might be lofty, but double-digit touchdowns for Drake Stoops. He's on pace for 12. I'm Liz in. First of all, his dad's a coworker. I don't know if you knew that or not. Conversations with coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, also, paycheck. also, way before I worked with his dad, uh, this goes back to COVID era. I think hashtag Drake for Heisman might have been started by me back in 2020. So at some point, we're going to get him there. Um, whether it's Dylan Gabriel or Drake Stoops, one of them's going to get an invite to New York City. Now, I'm joking, obviously, but I think. I think he'll get to 10 touchdowns this year. Yes, I would say Liz in. And I think, honestly, in a weird way, I think that number goes up if they don't run the ball well, right? Because maybe in some of those goal line situations, you see a lot more passing on the edge. They've gone to him a lot in the red zone the last few weeks. I think it's effective. Two touchdowns against Tulsa, both of them on four-yard passes. So it wasn't like he was needing the right. space. Um, he's finding space in those situations. By my 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 By my count, you've got, Two Sooners at the Heisman Trophy Ceremony. Right. We'll see if we can get to a third before we get out of here. You can have up to four, uh, I think. The third question for you. <laughs> Cincinnati, I think, is averaging 239 yards per game on the ground. OU keeps them under 200 this week. Liz in or Liz out? Um, I'll say Liz in, and that's because Heisman finalist Danny Stutzman is playing so well for the Sooners. <laughs> 
Um, no, Danny Stutzman is playing amazing right now. And I, I do think it is going to be the biggest test. I think I, I might have seen it. I think it was George Stoya who tweeted today uh, on Monday that OU's only given up like 2.29 yards a carry. And at this time last year, it was about four and a half against, mm-hmm. like we said, I don't think they've played a team as good as, uh, as good as SMU was to this point last year. I didn't think they played a team as good as SMU was this year. So I, I think they're better. I think 230 is a big number. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say Cincinnati runs somewhere between 100 and 130, which would be a pretty good performance for this OU defense. All right. Because we're going to Cincinnati or I'll be going to Cincinnati with Barry Trammell and Garen Emig run through some celebrities from the city. Liz in or Liz out on Pete Rose. Um, this is a tough one for me. I'm like the guy's obviously kind of a jerk, right? I mean, I think everyone that's ever had some dealings with him have told told you he's a little bit of a jerk. The Ray Fossey thing in the All Star Game is an all timer, but also, in a weird way, like I kind of get a kick out of the guy who sprints to first after a walk. I think he's a little bit crazy, and I kind of respect that. So I'm Liz in. Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm Liz in my uh, my girlfriend has got I just completed the entire uh, we have watched every episode of Sex in the City. We have watched wow. both the movies. And last week we completed season two of and just like that. So I got to be Liz in on Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, yeah, I love Carrie Bradshaw. I like it. Uh, former president William Howard Taft. Oh, this is a Lizenby guy. The guy got stuck in a bathtub for crying out loud. He is our fattest president, so I've got to be Liz in. I've lo- I love Rick Majerus. You remember him? He was awesome. Oh, yeah. I love Ralph Friedgen. I loved Mark Mangino. I love I love a hefty coach, and I love a hefty president. Love I, That's great. He uh, first president to own a car, fun fact. Very nice. Yeah, and the first to throw out a first pitch at a baseball game. Those are my two Taft fun facts. I thought it was Taft that threw out the, fir- the first first pitch. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, George Clooney? Oh, I think I'm going to go Liz out on George Clooney. And here's why. Good actor, obviously beautiful. Made the salt and pepper classy. You know, one of the many that did, which thank you very much, George. <laughs> but I, I had the opportunity one time working in morning radio to meet Stacy Keebler. You remember her? Might have been a little before my time. Stacy Keebler was like in the WWE at one time, yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. like an actress and model. And I honestly think she's the most. She came in like at seven in the morning, no makeup, and just was naturally one of the most beautiful people I'd ever seen. And he dumped her. So I got to go Liz out on George Clooney. Reasonable. All right. OU, 14, and a, 14 point favorites per Bovada as of right now. Can they cover that? Liz in, Liz out. So mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit to something here. I went mm-hmm. three and nine on my picks last week, which is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my picks was Houston to cover against TCU, oh, and I kind of had this I kind of had this thought of I'm just gonna pick every new Big Twelve team in their home opener, their first Big Twelve game, and that's where I fall with Cincinnati here. So usually teams don't cover four weeks in a row. Vegas adjusts. And I think because Cincinnati's coming off such a bad loss, I think there's going to be a lot of money on Oklahoma, so you're going to get better value for Cincinnati. So I think the Sooners win, but if I had to play this game, if I had to put money on it, I'd say Cincinnati covers. Fair enough. The last one for you, maybe you can help me make my decision on if I'll make a visit, but 
Skyline chili, Liz in or Liz out. All right, I got a big chili thought. Mm-hmm. I don't think chili has beans in it. Okay? So I, if, ch- if chili has beans in it, to me it's not chili. Well, it is. It's just chili with beans. So if you tell me you're getting chili, it shouldn't have beans in it. So my understanding is the Skyline chili has beans. Is that correct? I believe so. They also put it on pasta. That's kind of my main uh, issue. I actually have no problem with the spaghetti on pasta thing. I think it could be interesting. I have been known in the or the not the spaghetti on pasta, the chili on pasta. I've been known in the past to mix in a little chili with some ramen. So okay. I've done that. I've done that trick before when I've been, you know, like really poor in the ramen and mustard and chili and Vienna sausage days. But I can't do it if it's got beans in it. I don't need legumes on my pasta. I'm out. I'm out okay. if there's beans in it. If I can do no beans, I'll try it. Well, I'll, we'll, I'll, we'll report back here next week if I do try it. I don't think it's likely, but if it's for the content, or I said it on to someone earlier, if Garen Emig buys a few beers and then it's uh, time, I'll, I'll consider it. But I don't think uh, I don't think Skyline is in my future. But Todd, that does it for this episode of the Letterman Jacket Pod. Pleasure as always. I'll be headed to Cincinnati later this week. We will have another podcast later this week. Garen Emig coming on with me to preview the Sooners trip to Cincinnati. As always, find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, everywhere you get your podcasts. And Todd, everyone can find our stuff at selloutcrowd.com. Per usual, a whole lot of good stuff going on there. What are you going to have going on there this week? So I'm going to be talking to one of the Hutchins brothers, TBD, about some Oklahoma State stuff. Uh, I believe you and I are going to get together and do a little... uh, I love how we kind of do the little proper football slash American Mm -hmm. football crossover. Mm -hmm. So we might do that a little bit this week as well. And I've got another one in the works that I don't want to just say just yet that I'm working on for this week. So got that. I've got my college football picks against the spread coming out at selloutcrowd.com as well. So fade those if you want to win some money. Fabulous. Well, we will be back later this week on the Letterman Jacket Pod. As always, thank you for joining. And if you haven't yet, join the crowd. Come on. What are you doing? It's time.